And uh, we'll be in that book today, and we're going to be doing an overview, and we're going to be answering this question, Christ's humility, how does it inform life? Now, Philippians is a book of thanksgiving, joy, through humility for a gift that the Philippians had given to Paul. And there was a guy, the guy that, you know, brought the gift. It wouldn't have mail carriers. We like our mail carriers. But back then, we didn't ha- they didn't have mail carriers. If you wanted to send something to somebody, you paid or you got a guy and you gave him this item. And he trekked across the country and said, here. They didn't have like a mail system. So this guy named Epaphroditus, uh, he uh, brought the thing, but he got sick. He almost died. And so Paul's like just writing this letter of gratitude and joy from a place of humility. And then he, uh, he takes it and he forms it around this church hymn. And I, I'm going to try to get the sweds. They don't know this yet, but I'm going to see if the, I can get the sweds to put this hymn to music and then we can know to sing it. So this is a church hymn. There's a debate of whether Paul wrote it or if this was a hymn that they already were singing. Um, But just listen to this hymn of humility and power. And the beginning of the hymn is an exhortation to us. What kind of mind are we to have? Verse 5 says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross, the most despicable way to die in the woven world. Therefore, (laughs) the power, second stanza, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It's covering everything, all spiritual beings, all physical beings, everything will bow and declare Jesus Christ is Lord. Say with me, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And all creation, things above the earth, things under the earth, things on the earth, everything is going to declare that truth. All to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all declared Jesus is Lord. A hymn of humility. He emptied himself. He became a man, but not only just a man, but a servant. And not just a servant, but a servant that died on a cross. He gave it all. It's a humiliation to be God and to become man. And he did it for you and for me. And we are called then to have the same what? What did it say? It's the same mind. The same mind 
of Christ. So we go back. Christ's humility. How does it affect us in life? And today, Ed's going to see how in five ways it affects us. From the text of Philippians. So this hymn has what? It's the gospel, right? Then that this hymn just summarized the gospel. Christ died for your sins. He rose again. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us, has power over everything. Your sin is taken care of. So the gospel calls us to humility. The gospel calls us to humility. And I bristle. My flesh actually bristles, not me. Because I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But my selfish flesh bristles and says, hey, wait a minute. What about (laughs) me, right? And it's not that me is not in the picture. It's that me is in proper perspective. A lot of times when we go to and we start to apply humility in our lives, this virtue of humility, we start to apply it in a, di- in a way that just uh, <coughs> devalues us. But that is not true humility. Humility is a true assessment of oneself. And it thinks of itself, but it doesn't only think of itself. Sometimes that's pride, that's, that's selfishness, to only think of yourself. And a lot of times when we take this, we say, well, I can't think of myself. I just have to think of others. And that's it. No, you need to think of both and then give priority to others. Our tendency is to think of both but give priority to ourselves. Do you see? So there is a tension, a balance. It's not one or the other. It's both and. So the question is, the virtue of humility, (laughs) do I desire this virtue? I would think that the world around us says, no, I'm not a doormat. No, it's about me and what I want and what I want to do and what I want to be. So as a culture, no, we don't desire this virtue. And as Paul's day, did you know this was not a virtue? This was scum, servant, slave were considered humble. And yet God became flesh. He humbled himself. He set an example for each one of us to desire this virtue. And so my heart is challenged this week to say yes to Jesus, yes to the Spirit walking this fruit of humility into my life. My prayer is for each one of you to say yes to that. It does not mean you ignore yourself. It means that you do not only think of yourself. Turn with me to Philippians 1, 3 through 7. This is that first 
uh, topic that we're going to talk about. It, Paul is talking to the Philippians, and he says, I thank my God that in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, you are making my prayer with joy. Oh, humble and joy in the same sentence. They're not going to... They don't feel like they fit very well with us, but in our new natures and what Christ is calling us into, our new identity, we have humility with joy. So my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. What will he do with the good work? He'll complete it. That is good news. At the day of Jesus Christ, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my hearts for all the partakers of, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel. God began a good work. God is going to complete it. So we have humility is with joy for God's work in us, God's completed work in us. And if you haven't noticed, the slide background is Paul in prison, Jesus in the middle, washing feet, and then the overbearing Caesar, uh, Roman God in the back. This will just help you sink it in, that this is a serious situation that Paul is in. And yet Paul is choosing to be content in all circumstances and rejoice in the work of the Lord. Joy is found in the cross. Joy is found in God's work. Joy is not found in our circumstances. I've had many circumstances this week that could and did at times rob my joy. And I'm sure each one of you have. And that is because we have lost sight of the cross. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And is there interceding for you and me. And in every circumstance, no matter what, we can have joy in that. We can stake our claim. But the discipline, the part is, is that we do not always fix our eyes on Jesus. Most of the time, our eyes are on us. So we have humility with joy for God's work in us. God will complete it. God will complete it. You're having a rough week. You, you, you just aren't feeling connected to God. God will complete it. God is faithful even when you are not. Philippians 1.18 says, What then only that in every way, whether in presence or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always with Christ, will be honored in my body, with or by life or by death. Wow, if only we could have that attitude about all lives, about all struggles. 
Where is Paul? Paul's in prison. Paul has to have people bring him food because they don't give you food in prison. Right? They don't, they don't clean your stall. You got a, a bucket that you get a poop in in the corner. It's terrible. It's nasty. Prison is not a cool place. And he's saying, God will be honored. And in that I have what? And that he what? Rejoices. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'm here, Paul says, for one purpose. And I would say that each one of you are here for one purpose, and that purpose is to live a life dedicated in relationship with Jesus. That's why you're here. That's why you were made. And in living that life, you proclaim the gospel. Your living epistles, living letters written to the people in your circles of influence. Written to be citizens of heaven, their representation of God and his love for all. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better for me. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy with faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of, your coming, of my coming to you again. We have humility with joy in the life of Christ. Paul has decided that his life is only worth living, not for himself, but for Jesus. That's what life is worth living. And so he says, not I, but Christ in me. He doesn't actually say that, but he has that concept. So we have humility with joy in our life of Christ. It means Christ's life in me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and rose again for me to give me life abundantly. So we have humility with joy in our life for Christ. Philippians 1.27 says, to 28 says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come to see you in my see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. One spirit, one mind, standing side by side, locked arm in arm, with our shield battles of faith up to quench the fiery darts, to stand against the enemy who assails us because he does not want the good news of the gospel to advance. He does not want you to know that Christ died for your sins and according to the scriptures was rose on the third day. And that if you confess Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. 
And I implore you, if you have not confessed Jesus as Lord, to confess him as Lord. And if you have, then lock arm in arm with your brothers and sisters and stand united against the enemy and for the advance of the gospel. You're not frightened in anything by your opponents. And they're all opponents. There is a clear sign to them of your destruction, but your salvation and that from God. Philippians 2.1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, being in unity and of one mind, one mind centered on the gospel, one mind centered on the mission, living for Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. I want the church to happen this way. I want this kind of music to be played. I want the color of the stage to be this. I want the opportunity table in the foyer. I count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It says, do not look to your own interests, does it? It says, not only to. So you need to look to your interests, but you then have to weigh and say, wait, others are more significant than mine. It's both, and. I know. All my black and white people that see the world in black and white do not like me putting in a tension. And yet, so often, things are in tension. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Either extreme is very unhealthy for anybody. Two fourteen says, "Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you what shine as lights in the world." You see, when we're not standing in unity when we're not standing locked on and on and we're bickering and we're arguing about each other, about the color of the carpet, about whether we should put paint on the church, about, I mean, all the things that we argue about, how about our governmental structure, about, about our doctrinal statement, whatever it is. When we argue and bicker about those things, our light, does it shine? No, it doesn't shine. In fact, it's like, a, it's like putting a bushel over it, isn't it? So God is calling us to oneness, unity in not ourselves, but in Christ. Unity in the gospel, the Messiah. Holding fast to the word of life so that on the day of Christ I may be proud and I did not run in vain or, or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad, I am glad to rejoice with you all. Oh, Oftentimes we say humility and we're like, oh, if I have to, but I don't want to. Yeah. 
supposed to say, no, no, I will be humble. I will have the virtue of humility for the glory of Christ and the progress of the gospel, and I will be glad in that. Not in the slander that's happening to me, but I'm glad that the slander is happening because it's advancing the gospel, because I'm sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Because he suffered for me. And in a way, when I suffer, I, I, I bond with him. I share in his sufferings. His presence is there with me, suffering with me, saying, I'm here. I'm walking through this with you. I'm bringing strength and comfort and encouragement to you, if there'll be any of that in Christ Jesus. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoice in the presence of God. Rejoice that God is saving you and that God has saved you. Rejoice in the work of the Spirit. Rejoice in the, in the servanthood of God. And, and rejoice in the gospel going forth through our So we have humility with joy for the unity of the church and the sharing of the gospel. Un humility with joy in the unity of, for the unity of the church and the sharing of the gospel. Humility. A virtue. Do you want humility? Do you want this virtue in your life? Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. Look out for those dogs. Look out for the evil duels. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look out for heresy. Look out for those who do not make the gospel the central message. Look out for anybody who makes one thing a hobby horse. For we are the circumcision who worship by spirit of God and in glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in our ability to keep the law. We put no confidence in our ability to please God. For we stand in what, brothers and sisters? What do we stand in? I've been saying it for a couple weeks now. Grace. We stand in grace. Not in the flesh. Though I myself have reason or confidence if the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church of God, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Never made a mistake about the law in my life. But whatever I gained, I had I count it as a bad word for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as a bad word in order that I may gain 
Christ. Is that how you feel about your life? About your accomplishments? Have you put yourself on the altar of Christ? Poured out yourself as a drink offering to Christ? Romans says, present yourselves as living sacrifices to God. Which is your reasonable service of worship? So that you may gain life. That you may gain Jesus Christ. Who's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who intercedes for you. Who rules over all. And everyone at one point will say, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you say it now and be saved? Will you say it now and receive life and that life more abundant than ever? And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Faith, believing and receiving God's grace. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What's it say there? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I would just want him to stop right there and say, yeah, power go out. Power solve all my problems. Power make everything right. But is that what it says? No, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. That's because the power of his resurrection is a force of redemption of the suffering in my very life. So he doesn't get rid of my suffering. He redeems it. He uses it to shape me and form me and to bring me in to the unity of Christ and in a unity of the body. Who here does not suffer? <laughs> yeah, we all suffer. And we become like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That's his goal, to have a relationship with Jesus. That's all that matters to him. Brothers, join in imitating me. Bro sisters and brothers, join in imitating Paul. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So I fear and tremble in saying this, but try to imitate my goal in walking in relationship with Christ. For many of whom I often told you and tell you now, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame in the midst mindset on earthly things. They're thinking about themselves, you see. They're thinking about what all the things they want and, and their own prestige, you see. Their mind is set on earthly things, you see. Where is our mind set on, church? Where are we to set our eyes? Who are we to fix our eyes on? Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this citizenship does not mean we don't care about what goes along around in this world, but this citizenship is one where we walk as God's representations, as citizens of heaven, to occupy 
a country, a world that is in desperate need of God. And we await for the day when he comes back and he sets up his righteous kingdom here on earth. Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enabled him even to subject all things to himself. We have this hope. New bodies. Oh, no more backaches. No more cotton mouth. No more eye problems. No more fill in the blank. No more relational turmoil. No more health issues. All our bodies like his. So we have humility with joy in knowing and representing Jesus Christ. And that joy is in who? Jesus. It's not in my circumstances. In every circumstances, we represent Jesus. And in humility, this is what we're called to do, but with joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Ugh. We rejoice not in our circumstances, church, but we rejoice in the gospel. We rejoice in our God. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every prayer and every supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Come to God in faith. Come to him who's walking in you. Come to him who will complete the work. You don't need to worry because God is in control. Because God is there with you. And the peace of God, God's peaceful presence, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Did you know you typically cannot hold more than one thought in your mind at one time? Did you know that? You only have like a couple bandwidth. Maybe some of us have more, but usually it, it's maybe bouncing, but it's only one at a time. And you know what the enemy loves to do? The enemy loves to take these thoughts, and he has, he can't read your mind, but he can put thoughts, he throws thoughts in your mind. They'll call them fiery darts in, uh, in Ephesians. And it says to hold up the shield of faith so that you can quench. It's a very important word. That is a, it's a quench, the, the fiery darts of the evil one. So it, it, you ever have a thought? It comes sailing into your mind, boom. And then you're like, oh, that's terrible. Or, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. And here you go, down the bunny wheel trail. And that thought grows, and it grows and grows. And next thing you know, you're in such an ugly funk. And the devil, or the demon that's assigned to you is like, <laughs> look at that, I sidelined him. <laughs> he's not, his light is not shining because he's, Grumbling and complaining. And now, <laughs> he's mad at God. <laughs> you know that's basically what's happening? It can come from your flesh as well. From your fallen nature, which God is redeeming. 
Are you unsaved because that thought came into your mind? No. God who began a good work and you will complete it. So when you say that thought comes and you quench it and say that is not who I am, that is not what God created in me, I choose to think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable. These are the things I choose to think about. And I will not go there. In fact, when the thought comes in, you go, faith, stand in truth. I think that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I think all of us know that. Jail, my thought just went away. Now I'm thinking about what? Jesus loved me. Me. Our mind fixates on whatever we place in front of it. So when we have a thought or a temptation come into our mind, we discipline ourselves to fixate on God's love and grace. We run into the arms of our Savior who's with us. His presence is there. Whatever you've learned and read or received and whatever you've seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He'll be what? His presence is there. He is near. He is here. He abides with you. Will you step in and recognize the presence that he has? So we have humility with joy in God's peaceful presence. You see, the enemy, he wants to make you think that God is not peaceful at all. Definitely towards you. He wants to make you think that God is mad at you. And he just wants to spank you till you're raw. It's not God's heart. God does discipline those whom he loves, but it's those whom he loves. And yes, discipline can be difficult at times, but it's for good. It's for growing, not for destruction. And the enemy wants you to think that God is trying to destroy you. And it's not true. God loves you. God cares about you. And he wants his peaceful presence to be there for you. And when you have anxiety, and many of us do, and many of us have anxiety that's unexplainable, just know that God is with you in the midst of that anxiety that you're feeling. He's not rejecting you. He's not judging you because the cross has paid it all. So come to him. Don't run away from him. Come to him and let your request be made known so that the peace of God, the presence, peaceful presence of God can fill you. And come to him with humility. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, Really, Philippians lays out for us that humility with joy is a way of life. There's five different ways here that humility is expressed. It's expressed in the work of God, humility with joy for God's work in us. Humility with joy in our circumstances, Paul's imprisonment. Humility with joy for the proclamation of the gospel. Us as living epistles, humility with joy for the unity of the body. And humility with joy, I guess there's six. Humility with joy 
I'm not, I can't count. I'm so moody. So Humility with joy in the presence, the peaceful presence of God. Is this, this, I hope now, you can walk away saying, yes, this is the way of life. This is how I want to walk. And every time I engage with a brother or sister in Christ, every time I engage with the, the, this community, every time I get on social media, <laughs> oh, man, every time I do that, I'm going to ask myself, will I, am I exuding and living the virtue of humility, and do I have joy in it because of what Christ has done? Humility with joy as a way of life. May we all strive for that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us an example of humility with joy, and we pray that we would be able to take on this virtue and embrace this virtue with one another and in our day-to-day lives. We, we need you, Holy Spirit, to work this out. We can't do it on our own. We don't put any confidence in our flesh. Our confidence is in you and in the work of your spirit in us. And we thank you for that. And we stand in that reality, asking you to transform us. And we lean into that by faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.